I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And if you say uh, that sounds the same as last week, you're right. We're going to be using uh, the same passage, only a couple of different verses within that passage. Romans 12, 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned, this is the second part in a two-part series. Last Sunday, we highlighted verses 2 and 3 in Romans chapter 12. We identified humility as absolutely essential for each and every believer or follower of Jesus Christ. So that was part one, one as we looked at the theme of humble servants. Now, I'd like to, just for review, quote, a statement that I quoted last week by Andrew Murray in his book, Humility, the Beauty of Holiness. Humility is not so much a grace or a virtue along with others. It is the root of all. Because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. It is simply the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all in all and in which we prepare ourselves to serve him in obedience. We noted last week how Romans 12, this passage on humility, is based upon a statement that directly proceeds it at the end of chapter 11 verse 36. For from him 
and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Our message centered on three different considerations. That humility focuses on God's grace. It requires submission. And finally, it accepts the way that God created each one of us. So this morning, in the second part of this series on humble servants, we're going to focus on the next two verses, verses 4 through 6. And it reads as follows. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So this suggests that we are to demonstrate humility not only as individual believers in isolation, but also as the body of Jesus Christ, the church, as it functions on behalf of Jesus. Now, you may ask, why is that important? Couldn't we just, each one of us, use our individual gift and ability and, and serve Christ within this body of believers? Well, it doesn't work that way. You see, by nature, we are selfish. By nature, we enjoy having the spotlight on us. Whether we're in a prominent position or whether we're even working behind the scenes, we must admit that we enjoy it when others recognize what we're doing or make comments about our strengths and gifts and abilities. I came across what I feel is a very good example of this whole concept. It's claimed to be a story based on a true or actual account. It goes like this. One very hot afternoon on a beach, people noticed that there was a young girl struggling, crying out, obviously drowning. So several of the people sprang into action and quickly rescued her and pulled her out of the water onto the shore. And by this time, the little girl was unconscious. An elderly man from a nearby cottage came running as fast as he could anyway, and he bent down and he was just about to attend to this little girl when suddenly this man, this furious man, comes bullying his way through the group of people that were surrounding the little girl. And he says, everybody step away. I was trained in CPR, so get out of the way. Let me take care of this. So everyone, listen. They backed away, including the elderly man. And as the crowd quietly watched this man perform CPR, he was right, he knew it. The little girl regained consciousness after a tense minute of everyone worrying and waiting. So it was with a sense of relief that the people who had gathered around the man and the little girl began applauding the man who did the CPR. And the elderly man as well was very happy 
He gratefully congratulated him and then returned to his cottage porch where he was sitting to once again enjoy the scenery of the beach. The little girl was brought to the local hospital and was checked out and everyone else returned to their normal activities. About an hour later, the man who saved the little girl by performing CPR on her suddenly himself felt dizzy and suddenly he had difficulty breathing. After gasping for breath, unable to fill his lungs with air, he shook violently and became unconscious. A few minutes later, he woke up in an ambulance. It was rushing him to the nearest hospital. And lo and behold, as he was there, the old man that he saw earlier at the beach was right next to him. And he was checking his pulse rate. And he was giving instructions to the EMT. And as he listened, he soon discovered that the man was a doctor. And in fact, he was the one who did the CPR on him and saved his life. So he asked, back on the beach with that little girl, why didn't you tell me that you were a doctor? The doctor smiled and he answered, you know, it really doesn't matter to me whether or not you call me a doctor. A little girl's life was in danger. As long as you were doing CPR on the little girl, I wasn't needed. Then the elderly man paused, and he thought for a few seconds, and he said, when I became a doctor, I didn't do it for fame. I didn't do it for recognition. I did it so that I could save lives. Nothing can surpass that feeling of saving another person's life. You know, life is so much more precious than protecting my ego. Let's reflect on that. Basically, this is saying that when we're humble, within the body of Christ, we trust that others can use their gifts and we're not threatened. That we're working together for the good of the whole group, for the whole church. We need to realize that humility is what, requ what requires us then to recognize our gifts and abilities, our role, our function within the body of Christ. This morning, we're going to consider a couple of implications. First, within the church, God has called us to be in relationship with one another. And of course, the opposite of that is true as well. God has not called us to be Christians in isolation. The church is not a place where we just come together to celebrate an event. It's not like us coming together to watch a Giants game, to see a display of professional talents, and then leaving without really even interacting with people. Neither is it like a college classroom 
where we may know a few students, but we came to listen to the lecture. Maybe we'll chat with someone afterwards in the hallway, but we just go our separate ways. No, the church is a body. And so that implies a much deeper level of contact and interaction than a Giants game or a class. We know that our bodies, our physical bodies, do not work very well if its members are not connected with one another. My feet only work when they're connected to my legs. My legs only work in conjunction with being connected to my torso and all the way up, and everything needs to be vitally connected to my head and to my brain. All of that needs to come together in order for me to function. And now, in a larger church in particular, it's impossible to know everyone well. I know I have to admit, I'm still working on it. It takes quite a while to get to know people, but there will be a group of several people whom we know on a much deeper level. Much deeper than just saying hello to them after a Sunday morning worship service. We think of the early church that met in Jerusalem. There were thousands of members, we're told, in Acts chapter 2. They met together at the temple, but then they went to individual homes. Acts 2, verses 42 and 46 describe that. They interacted on a deeper level. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They worshipped together. So the principle of a body is that we need to be developing those kinds of relationships with other members within the body for the purpose of mutual growth in Jesus Christ. I think you would agree that as Americans, we tend to be very individualistic. We admire those that are strong, those who pull themselves up by the bootstraps. In fact, we think that someone having to help us is a sign of weakness. Maybe that's also a Dutch trait, just, just saying. As Christians, we need to fight this tendency. There is a sense in which every believer bears his own responsibility for his or her own spiritual growth. Paul speaks about that in Galatians 6. But there's another sense in which we do bear one another's burdens. Because, Paul says in Galatians 6, we are members one of another. So the principal example of the body means that we need each other to grow, to stand strong against the enemy. And to admit that requires humility. Gene Getz wrote a book, Building Up One Another, and he, he examined that phrase. He called it the one another's that are used in the New Testament. He came to the conclusion that outside of the Gospels, there are some 58 uses 
of the Greek word that's usually translated one another. He had 12 chapters in his book, and when you look at the, the headings, it gives us some great examples. Be members of one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. And those were just the ones in Romans. In Galatians, two of them serve one another, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians, two of them, bear with one another and submit to one another. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another. Now, that may sound simple, but it's not. Relationships are hard. Often there's misunderstanding. Often there's conflict, hurt feelings, even within the body of Christ. And I, I can say that in my experiences as a pastor, unresolved conflict causes people so often to back off in what they're doing in the church. They're less and less involved. Or, eventually, they may drop out of church altogether. I've encountered young people or children who've witnessed all of the division and the harsh words that are said between fellow believers, and they think, if this is what the church is really all about, do I really want to be a member? Yet, in this fallen world, it is inevitable that we have conflicts and disagreements. Any relationship, and I often say this in the premarital counseling, any relationship involves a risk because you're committing on such a deep level. But the benefits of having a deep and loving relationship far outweighs the hard work that it takes to be in a relationship. So God has called us to be in relationship with one another. Second, that the unity of the one body of Christ is primarily invisible and spiritual. Yes, I can look out and say this is the body of Jesus Christ. But in Ephesians 4, Paul speaks of a couple of other aspects of spiritual unity. In verse 3, he says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is unity that is created by the Holy Spirit. We don't cause it. But Paul says we need to be diligent in preserving it. And that requires, once again, humility, along with gentleness and patience and love. In verse 12 of Ephesians 4, Paul says that the various gifted leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry in order to build up the body of Christ. And then he says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
Now this is a unity that we do need to strive toward attaining as we grow in sanctification. It's not like the unity we have in the spirit that we're told we need to preserve. It's not only based upon our common faith that we have in Jesus Christ, but we encourage one another to grow in our understanding and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in God's Word, the Bible. So the operative phrase in verse 5 of Romans 12 is in Christ. We are only truly unified when we together belong to Christ through this inner spiritual unity. And so we should then strive to show this unity outwardly through our acts of love and cooperation. Humility requires that we think carefully about the concept of the body of Christ. It means that the church is an organic unity. That's described in our text as well. It's made up of diverse members. And we all are members of the body in Christ, through Christ. And that body is made up of a variety of different people with different gifts that they give. And each one has an interdependent function for the well-being of the whole body. Paul elaborates on this concept in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 21, and I'd like to read that. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So in other words, we as members of the body of Christ are interdependent. We need one another in order to function well. And again, it takes humility to recognize that and to know how you can best fit in for the well-being of the whole body of Christ. And that can be difficult when our pride enters in and wants us to be more independent or not to reach out and tell someone that you need some help. We are the body of Christ. 
There's another story illustrating this truth. It's, it happened during a church's VBS. A woman was teaching one of the younger classes. And as she was teaching, she was, the whole class was interrupted, and this was about an hour before they actually were dismissed, as a new boy was brought in. He only had one arm. And the teacher had no idea, no details about why he was missing his other arm or how they could adapt to that particular handicap. She was nervous. She was afraid that one of the other kids would make a, a comment that would embarrass him. But, of course, since he showed up unannounced, she had no opportunity to kind of pull the class aside to coach them on how to respond. The class came to a close. There were no incidents. And so she breathed a big sigh of relief, and she began to finally relax. So she said to the class, let's fold our hands and close our eyes. Then it it hit her. She was asking the boy to fold his hands. She was doing the exact thing she feared the children were going to do. He couldn't fold his hands. So she paused. She was speechless. She had no idea what to do. The little girl sitting next to the new boy reached over with her left hand, intertwining her fingers into the boy's right hand. She looked at his name tag and said, Davy, let's pray together. What a beautiful picture of how the body of Jesus Christ should function. We recognize our unity as members of the same body. We have an interdependence. We have different gifts within the body, yet we come together alongside of one another. And we say, let's be the church together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you created the body of Christ, the church, to be interdependent. We need each other. We do not act in isolation. We are part of a body where each and every part is important. Yet we confess that it is easy for us to do things by ourselves like the man on the beach who bullied his way through, saying, I'm the one that can handle this. I have the gifts and the abilities. Sometimes we do that, only to discover that maybe there's others who are even more able or gifted, and that we need to be able to support and encourage one another as we use our gifts. We thank you for the call to be people who are humble, especially as we view ourselves in light of who you are.
And in our humility, may we together encourage one another and be there to encourage during times of joy and happiness, but also to be able to mourn and grieve during times of sorrow and sadness. Help us to be a living body, an active body, one in which we seek to grow in our knowledge of Christ as we learn more and more about our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.